Welcome to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman from Waco, Texas. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith from New York City. Each week we get together to talk about the readings for the upcoming Sunday. We hope to help both the sermon prepping pastor as well as everybody, since we all need to find that thread of grace, the gospel, throughout the scriptures. So dust off your Bible. Let's jump in. Welcome, everybody, to the same old song, the Mockingbird Lectionary Podcast, where we explore the upcoming readings for Sunday. My name is the Reverend Jacob Smith, and I'm the rector of Calvary St. George's in Manhattan. And I'm the Reverend Monsignor Aaron Zimmerman. I am the rector of St. Albans Episcopal Church in Waco, Texas. And we are coming to you, especially if you are up Sunday at 2.30 in the morning and you have no idea what you're going to talk about. For everyone else, this could be some great devotional material, if I do say so myself, but we are glad that you are here with us. So, Jake, you begin by saying a couple things, which I think just as we begin this series uh, in our name, the, uh, the Mockingbird Lectionary Podcast, just to kind of orient people who may be new to this, Mockingbird wants to communicate the gospel in fresh and down-to-earth ways and connect it to everyday life. So there's going to be a sense in which we always want to talk about how this matters for real people and try to keep it fresh, maybe occasionally be a little saucy, a little provocative, maybe a little funny from time to time. But also the lectionary, which is part of what you said, what is that, Jacob? Wow, well, the lectionary is um, a collection of readings that uh, are appointed for a particular worship service. And the idea of a lectionary goes back to the earliest days of the church, even to its Jewish roots when the church was in the synagogue. There were typically an appointed reading, one from the Psalms and one from the Torah. And when the church began to move out, out of the synagogues, it kept that tradition by adding an epistle, typically a teaching of one of the apostles, and then a reading from the gospel. And so these were appointed readings, and there are many different lectionaries, but the one that is primarily used in the United States amongst most Protestant churches is the Revised Common Lectionary, and that's what we'll be working from. And the good thing about a lectionary is that it actually protects us uh, and protects the congregation kind of just from my own constant interest and, you know, wanting to give everybody 12 steps to financial freedom or, you know, this or that. Um, the lectionary really helps us teach the breadth of the Scripture. Yeah, and it also uh, makes sure that we walk through the life of Jesus every year. So it begins in Advent. So, you know, Happy New Year, everybody. The church here begins in Advent, and you walk through the life of Christ. And it also forces you to engage with texts that you might not normally pick. The hard sayings of Jesus, weird prophecies, uh, old stories from the Hebrew Scriptures that maybe are are less familiar. So yeah, it it saves us from a lot of us trying to figure out what our next sermon series is going to be. So that's where we are. Jake and I are both going to be using the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. He really wanted to use the message, and I was like, Jake, no, (laughs) we we can't. uh, So we're using the NRSV. 
And so let's talk a little bit about Advent, Jacob, because yeah. as we head into it, that's another term. Uh, at, it, the church year and following the lectionary is becoming increasingly in vogue with uh, some mm. of our non-denominational brothers and sisters and those in Baptist traditions or non-liturgical traditions historically. So everybody's doing Advent these days. The cool kids are. We've been doing it for a long time. But yeah. tell us a little bit about that name, where it comes from, and what it's about. Um, Advent is, as you said, the beginning of the church year, and it comes from the Latin word adventus, uh, which means coming. And uh, it's typically, you know, when the church season was being put together, it was the days were becoming shorter and the nights were becoming longer. And so this idea here was is that in the midst of darkness, we've been given a promise of light and the darkness has not overcome the light, uh, to quote First John, but we don't want to jump to Christmas just yet. This was a time of um, kind of peace. It was a kind of time of reflection. A lot of people referred to it as a mini Lent, but it was a time when the church looked back to the fact that Jesus's first coming was prophesied and that it was fulfilled. And because he had come once, you could be darn well sure that he would come again a second time. So Advent was also a time uh, when we looked forward to his second coming. And so it is prophetic in nature and it is also apocalyptic in nature. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of people who maybe are less familiar with Advent, because while we are preaching this, the whole world is going to be Christmas. Target mm -hmm. is full of Christmas. The grocery store is full of Christmas. Your gas station will have Christmas decorations. It will be everywhere in New York, Jake. You know, the tree will be lit in Rockefeller yeah. Center. Here in Waco, we'll all be dancing around the giant burning Christmas tree as we do. Um, yeah, CBS and Dwayne Reed would have been decorated with Christmas since October. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. it's like it's all Christmas all the time. And so uh, as, as people are in that mode and stressed and anxious about it, the church does something really weird and I think wonderful in Advent, that the readings are going to be surprising and that they're not going to be the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, you're going to have a baby. It's none of these readings that we normally associate with Christmas. The churches themselves, if they are sort of following the, the tradition of Advent, are not going to be full of Christmas decorations uh, and we're not going to be singing Christmas carols, although some churches do cheat. Um, uh, give the people what they want, right, Jake? Yeah, we do. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so, but at this, but I think you know it. It is a great time to preach, y'all. So, so if there is a panic preacher listening to this on Sunday morning at two a.m., uh, jittery, nervous, and anxious, just know that the people are ready for a word because it's one of those high anxiety times of year. People are getting ready for family visits. They've got a Christmas party every other night. The kids want presents that you can't afford. There's all that sort of stuff going on, as well as just the the, the ghosts of Christmas past, mm. uh, the threat of Christmas future, and the, the panic of Christmas present. So there's all that mm. stuff going on. So, And in that, we get to preach a word about God who came and God who will come again and who brings hope, who brings light and darkness. And so with that, let's turn to Jeremiah. Uh, what's going on here, Jacob? Well, uh, Jeremiah is one of these uh, powerful uh, passages that are about expectation. And, uh, you know, and I love how uh, you said it earlier and in the past, when you're preaching Jeremiah, if you really want to get at the heart of it, you got to preach the context. And uh, Jeremiah is there, and, uh, um, you know, uh, Israel had uh, been sacked by Assyria, and now Judah, the kingdom in the south, has been destroyed by Babylon. You know, and everybody's hopes and dreams have literally been dashed against the wall. And it is here in the midst of all of this confusion and chaos and, and expectation lost that uh, Jeremiah delivers a word of hope. I think, you know, if I were preaching this passage, 
I would begin by talking about how it sounds nice and hopeful. You know, good stuff is going to come. And uh, every, he says, Judah will be saved in verse 16. Jerusalem will live in safety. So it sounds like this hopeful thing. And a lot of people in church are going to be putting on a hopeful face, especially in December. You get people coming back to church and thinking they have to look churchy and look like everything's fine. But you say, let me zoom out. Where is Jeremiah writing? He is in the courtyard of the guard. He is in prison. And what is outside of that? Well, Jerusalem in rubble. Uh, and Nebuchadnezzar is at the walls. He's getting ready to take over all their favorite buildings, the places they love to go, the country club, the AMC movie theater, the CVS or the Dwayne Reed. They're all in rubble up against the walls of Jerusalem because they've been destroyed so that Nebuchadnezzar can use them as ramps to get into the city. So everything is just completely just toast. And it's in that setting where Jeremiah says these words of hope. So you can address people in your congregation. If you feel like the walls of your life are coming down or you're barely holding it together, Jeremiah is in that same place. He's just bought a field in the previous chapter in a land that's destroyed because he's so hopeful about what God's going to do in the future. Yeah, I I love that. He says, in the midst of these ramparts, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in in safety. And as you move through the rest of the, the Old Testament, you begin to see, you know, eventually, you know, Cyrus lets the people return. And uh, there they, they build a temple, and uh, but they're still under occupation, first by the Greeks and then the Romans. And it's kind of like, well, what's going on? And this, this, this expectation never seems to be met. And I think that this kind of leads us forward eventually to the gospel, which we'll touch on in just a moment. But, um, but God always meets us in kind of unexpected ways. You know, he comes to Jerusalem on a donkey. And mm-hmm. uh, the people yell, Hosanna, you know, uh, and he comes to us today in things like a word of hope in a sermon and in bread and wine, these little things. And, you know, and he comes to us in these ways right now in between his two advents so that he can actually speak to the broken and shambled areas and say, listen, there's safety with me. Listen, um, I'm going to restore this. And there's a word of hope there um, that the Lord is our righteousness. So in these little means, we can actually look up outside of ourselves and all the broken expectation and just rest in the fact that indeed, it doesn't matter if you can't get your kids the best Christmas present in the world, because ultimately the Lord is your righteousness. They may hate you, but Jesus loves you. That's right. There may be a temptation here as well for the preacher and for the listener, even regardless of what the preacher says, to hear some sort of message about get righteous or get better for the Lord to restore you. But if you think about Jerusalem, this city in rubble and in ruins, when Jeremiah is writing, it doesn't get better. They do rebuild. They do rebuild. But by the time Jesus comes, there's not even a real king of Israel. It's a puppet Mm -hmm. of the Roman state, and the people have fallen farther. Jerusalem and all of the whole place is kind of filled with people that have backslidden and, and whatnot. So so the hope does come. It does look unexpected. It looks not like what they thought. It's not David 2.0. It's Jesus. It's this Jewish peasant. And the people have not earned his second coming or his first coming. So, so the hope is coming. We don't earn it. It's God's work. And it doesn't look like what we expect. Yeah, I think that is the big theme running through these three readings is the idea of imputed righteousness. And I really think that that comes out clearly in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. Do you have any uh, thoughts on that passage? Yeah, so, you know, we hear it in Jeremiah, the Lord is our righteousness, not me, not you, not our Bible study attendance or our church going or our pledging, although that's fine if you want to do that. Uh, but... Uh, the, the the idea that God is the one that does his work. And we see it in First Thessalonians um, in this verse 13, 
where St. Paul writes, uh, may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus. So Jesus is coming back. And you know, there's that old bumper sticker that says, Jesus is coming, look busy. There's a temptation for preachers to use the second coming as a way to guilt trip or use fear as a motivation to get people to straighten up their lives. And uh, of course, at Mockingbird, we don't believe that the law has the power to get people to do what it demands. You can lecture your children all they want, but they will still want to do what they want to do. The law doesn't change people. So preachers may look at this and say, oh, blameless. I got to tell my people to be blameless. But they forget that what Paul says is he's praying to God to strengthen the hearts of the people that they would be blameless, that this is God's work. Yeah, absolutely. It's important to note, as, as you pointed out brilliantly here, is that uh, the Lord, the Lord is is the protagonist, and uh, in this whole this whole opening letter, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. And yeah, for and, all. Now, and and verse eleven. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus mm-hmm. direct our way to you. Paul wants to go visit them, but he's even in that kind of mundane, worldly thing. He's mm-hmm. saying, you know, God is the one in control. He sees God as the one who has taken the wheel. Uh, thank you, Carrie Underwood. Um, and so. Paul, Paul, and all this stuff, yeah, he sees he sees God as the as the actor, the one who's who's doing the work. Um, can I say one other thing about this Thessalonians passage, Jake? Of course, you can. Thank you. Um, uh, and this is the other, you know, connecting back again to this Jeremiah passage. Jeremiah is sitting in rubble, and yet he has hope in that his life has not worked out the way he thought. Uh, he's been in the pit, uh, literally and figuratively. He's lost everything. And again, in Thessalonians, Paul is writing to a group of Christians who came to faith in Christ, uh, like many of us, and thought that Jesus would fix everything. We'd, we'd get the person that we had our eye on, we'd get the job that we have our eye on, that things would just work out. And, uh, and that's not happened for the Thessalonians. One of the big themes of this letter is persecution. They're being arrested, they're being persecuted, they've you know, lost their family or social standing. Some of them are being killed, and, and to that end, some of them have died. Um, even of natural causes, before the Lord returned, because they thought he was, you know, he'd gone out for a pack of cigarettes and would come back, but he didn't. <laughs> so uh, they're all waiting for Jesus to come back, and he hasn't come yet, and some of them have started to die. And so there's there's suffering there. But again, Paul gives them hope and says, he is coming. Just hold on for one more day, as I think you and I both know Wilson Phillips saying mm. so beautifully. Mm. Um, and so if you need, uh, preachers, if you need to break out acapella into that as you're preaching this, go right ahead. <laughs> Well, and then that that really moves us into this kind of this whole idea of um, the apocalyptic understanding of the the season of Advent and uh, Jesus um, as an apocalyptic prophet here in Luke chapter twenty one. Yeah, so so that's the thing here. Apocalypse means sort of hidden or secret knowledge. It, it's a word that kind of refers to the end times, and there's a lot of that throughout Advent again because as we look at the first coming of Jesus, we're looking at his second coming and the end of days. So. We're going to see a lot of that kind of language as we move through these four Sundays of Advent. So here, what's interesting is in Luke 21, again, surprisingly for your congregation, we are now in Holy Week. And they thought they were coming for Christmas stuff and it's Advent. But this is the last week of Jesus's life. Luke 19 was Palm Sunday where he enters into Jerusalem riding on the donkey that you talked about in the beginning. Tying into Jeremiah. Yeah. Yeah. This this messy. So the one that Jeremiah promised, that little spring that comes out of uh, David's uh, uh, branch, uh, a righteous branch that's come from the root there um, of David. Here he is. And he doesn't look anything like what we expected. And so he's entered the temple in Jerusalem. He's had these conversations with the Pharisees. He's he's getting ready to die. 
And the disciples, right before the context here, it's the disciples. Because, again, you have to do a little work for your congregation here because it just begins, Jesus said, which actually yeah. isn't in the text, but the lectionary always adds that so you know who's talking. Jesus said there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the earth, distress among nations. So all of a sudden, it sounds very left behindy. And so you got to talk about what's going on. So the disciples have just said, isn't this temple amazing? Aren't these stones big? Isn't the architecture incredible? I love this lobby. And so... Uh, Jesus then says, well, all of this is coming down. The whole temple is coming down. And then he starts mm -hmm. talking about the kind of end days. But like a lot of stuff in the Bible, he's sort of doing two layers. There's the end of days, but there's also the, the coming temple destruction in 70 AD. So Jesus knows yeah. that's coming and he knows the end end is coming. So he's talking about both things at the same time time uh yeah they're and, like interspersed and, yeah and uh, you see that you see that with uh his reference to the son of man um that's yep. a reference back to uh, the book of daniel and this apocalyptic figure who is god himself who's going to clean up all of history and so it's important i mean if you're doing a greater study on luke chapter 21 to discern when he's talking about the present moment 70 yeah. a.d the small prophecy to confirm what he's saying for the long for the long game. And so, but in that he's saying, um, you know, you'll see uh, the son of man, this image at the end of days coming in a cloud with great power and glory. And uh, this is the important thing is that he doesn't say, so get your act together. You know, I'm coming back. So look busy. He says, no, when this takes place, stand up and raise your head. You know, this yeah. is the idea of, you know, don't cower, but like there, there, there's, there's something there where there's, there's a, there's a sense of expectation and actually redemption to raise your head because your redemption is drawing near, you know, it's not something, yeah. it's this thing that I've already given you and nothing will take it away. Even the sun and the moon falling from the sky. Yeah, and that again gets to this other thread we've seen running through these passages that in the midst of desolation, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of things falling apart, God is still working to bring hope and to bring redemption. So with Jeremiah he, in in that ruined city, uh, it will be rebuilt. For the Thessalonians who've been persecuted and who have seen people die, God is still with them. He will finish the work that he began in them. And they can rejoice when Jesus returns. And for Jesus speaking in Luke, he's saying when everything's falling apart, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and people are fainting from fear in verse 26, he says, your redemption is now drawing near. Mm. So I think maybe a word to people who are in that stress, the pre-Christmas season and in the Christmas blues or whatever they've got going on, those things in their life which they think are maybe signs of God's displeasure or maybe his mm. inactivity, those might actually be the places where God is working and he is He is present. So it, there's hope. It, redemption comes when everything's falling apart. Mm. Well, that is, uh, that is really good news for the first Sunday of Advent. Raise your head for your redemption drives near. Yeah, and there, there is something here in verse 34 for people who, uh, there's a word here for when your family gets together on Christmas Eve. Uh, yeah, don't let your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. Yeah. And that's a joke because, you know, you and I have seen a lot of people on Christmas Eve show up a little red in the face, would you say? Well, I would say so. And I think, you know, um, it's obvious that Jesus was aware of some of my Christmas parties. You know, I mean, you know, because, you know, and, and that's like a natural thing when you're weighed down with life. Um, you know, yeah. a lot of people you can see at these Christmas parties, you know, the, the ones that are saucy at every Christmas party, um, you know, they're weighed down by things and the worries of this life. And this is a very uh, worrisome time. And uh, and this is why we talk about preaching the gospel Sunday after Sunday after Sunday is because uh, 
so that this day doesn't catch anybody off unexpectedly, but that they can stand in the hope, as uh, to quote Buddy Holly, every day uh, is getting closer. And yeah. uh, so they can stand in the hope and not be afraid of God, but that yeah. know that God is actually their friend and the friend of sinners and that he saved them and will save them on that yeah. last day. Yeah, and I think we do a disservice to our congregation if we just look at this verse 34 again and say, you know, be on your guard so that the day will not catch you unexpectedly. And if we miss the fact that Jesus doesn't just say dissipation and drunkenness, like preachers are always looking for a way to get legalistic and moralistic and tell them, you know, stop seeing those R-rated movies, uh, stop watching The Bachelorette, looking at you, Nick Lannon, and, you know, just clean up your life. Um, But Jesus, again, there's compassion. He says, be on your guard so that your hearts are not weighed down. He's always in touch with human suffering, not just that people are drunk, but why are they drunk? Because their hearts are heavy. They're looking mm-hmm. for an escape. They're looking for a little relief. And uh, and he says, your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the worries of this life. So he's aware mm. of the burdens that people carry. So you as a preacher, look out at your congregation and see their burdens, see their weighed down hearts and speak a word of grace to them and realize that if they're trying to numb a little pain, um, don't talk about the ways they're numbing their pain. Talk to their pain. Yes. And talk absolutely. to talk to the fact that Jesus says that he is coming and your redemption is near even when everything looks bad. He is the one that comes to us. In the Thessalonians passage again, he, we pray to God that he will strengthen our hearts. And in in Jeremiah he says the Lord is your righteousness, not you. So in all these things we want to be aware um uh, it, it, of of who we're talking to and what they're going through. You know, that, that phrase, be alert at all times in verse 36 of Luke 21. Um, be alert at all times. Pray that you may have strength to escape when all these things take place. Obviously, Jesus is talking about what will happen in 70 AD, destruction of the temple. But to us today, be alert at all times. Again, preachers are going to want to make that... Um, I don't know, be like thinking about Jesus all the time, be listening to Christian music all the time or something like that. But it's saying, be aware of where you are, be aware of what's going on in you, be aware of what God is doing in your life, uh, be aware of your sinfulness, be aware of your hardened heart, be aware of your anxieties, and and so that those are things that will draw you to God and not away from Him. That's right. That is good news. Maybe we can wrap up with this, but that, that maybe to look at that last paragraph as descriptive as opposed to prescriptive, and that is what Jesus is saying, is that in light of all of these things, you know, you can actually, especially when you know that your redemption is secure and mm-hmm. your redemption is sure, you're actually given the freedom to look at your life as it actually is. You see it, you know, in relationships. When you know you're loved and that love isn't going away, you can actually deal with the crap in your life. And that's a little bit what I think he's getting at here is that, you know, you can be you can be aware of what's going on. Agreed. It's a good word, Jake. Adventus. We'll see you all next week. We hope you helped. If you want my sermon for tomorrow, email me. Me too. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him. But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. And we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you like what you heard, We would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.